Today's episode is brought to you by Daura, the platform for digital shares. And thanks to digital shares, private placements and equity crowdfundings become easy, fast, and cheap to carry out. Daura offers free access for investors and a simple digital subscription process. You can promote investments worldwide through their digital channels, and customers and partners can be turned into shareholders and brand ambassadors. If you want to learn more, go to daura.ch. That's D-A-U-R-A dot C-H. Having the right persons around you and within your team is like very, very important and can be the difference between failing and succeeding. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Aurelio, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. It's great to be here, Sylvan. You are the co-founder and CEO at Splint Invest, an alternative investment platform. Before we talk about the investment world, I actually want to learn more about your personal background. You studied business administration and then joined PwC uh, straight out of university, basically. You worked there for eight years. And I just wonder, what did your corporate job teach you that now is also helpful for the entrepreneurial world? Well, actually, quite a lot and almost everything. It was a very interesting time at PwC. I've met so many interesting people learned a lot about like um, processes within the financial um, service industry i've learned a lot about different business models i've seen behind the scenes of large banks so mm. really quite a lot especially for the business um, we're doing right now but i would say the most important thing is that um, like working as a team is the most important thing having the right persons around you and within your team is like uh, very very important and can be the difference between failing and succeeding and I imagine that sounds like a second education after your business administration degree. You had like the second education in the financial industry. And I also wonder what were some of the things that maybe didn't click with you that you disliked about the corporate world that then eventually led for you to start your own company? Very good question. I, actually, there are two major things mm -hmm. and I haven't learned them at PwC. It was already in my mind before. Okay. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the concept of investing my personal time to get paid for it. Like I don't like that concept in general. So it was clear for me for, from the beginning. I would like to do something which is scalable and it's not like purely relying on my time effort to generate mm -hmm. revenues. And the, the other thing is and this is something I've learned at PwC is if you're smart, make sure that you make the most profit out of it and don't let others make the profit out of your smartness. And usually this is what is happening in consulting. So, Right. That's also quite a frustrating experience, I could imagine, when you think that you have a good idea or you have the, the brilliant spark to make a change and then someone else takes the, the credit or gets paid for it. Well, I, I wouldn't say disappointing. It's it's part of the game because they okay. teach you a lot. Like um, PwC as a company is investing a lot in the education of the employees. And, and mm -hmm. then, of course, you need somehow to monetize that. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. for me, it was the right thing at the right moment. But I, I knew from the beginning that they would like to go into entrepreneurship and building my own company. Mm -hmm. So right thing for the right moment and it was the right choice to get into another direction at some point. So you said you knew that you wanted to go 
down the entrepreneurial path, where does that entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you have any role models or family members that inspired you to become an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, actually, it's very interesting. I've participated at a survey of the HSK recently, where they are right now doing a study um, to understand how like family background is impacting your motivation to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a fun story, and it's top of my mind right now. So this is why I really think that it's driven by by family. Um, my grandfather was uh, an entrepreneur, my my father as well. And um, in, in different aspects, completely different fields. Like my grandpa, my grandfather came to Switzerland and started as a um, mechanic. And mm -hmm. um, he then built his own company, um, Fahrschule, I don't know, a driving school right, in Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> and a completely different thing. But yeah. like the, the motivation to be the own boss, to build something, to solve problems for others, I think this is like, it was handed over to me through the family it runs in your dna so to speak i'm not sure if like this is a huge discussion in sure. general if entrepreneurship is something um you you're given to it or you have mm -hmm. it in the dna or you can learn it and grow into it personally i think that it's a mix you need you need somehow yeah. the motivation to start mm -hmm. but then actually you grow into that mindset yeah so yeah, I, I fully agree. It's a mix of both that you need to probably have a predisposition of having the initial interest, an initial spark in entrepreneurship, but then you have to put in the work and learn. Exactly. So then in 2021, you decided to leave PwC and you actually started a Seltzer brand, but also an alternative investment platform at the same time. That's that's quite a year. And I think it all began when you actually invested in rare whiskey back in 2020. Can you talk a bit more about these early days and why you decided to make an investment in rare whiskey? Yeah, actually, it was it's a fun story because when when we met, so Mario, Robin, and the whole team, mm -hmm. when we met at PwC, we, we learned that we all are like stereotype retail investors. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit nerdy when it comes to all the discussions around how to structure a portfolio and everything like that. and. Um, at some point, we realized that um, it's in a way bad to, to have only investments in ETFs and stocks because of the high correlation. And mm -hmm. um, we started to do some research and learned that alternative investments have a lower, or like people pretend they have a lower correlation with traditional assets. Yeah. We did more research, and at some point, we came up with the idea to invest in whiskey costs. One element was because we um, learned that whiskey costs are like gaining in value over time from an intrinsic perspective because the whiskey is getting older, mm -hmm. makes it more expensive. It's not driven by supply demand. It's not a hype which is driving the price, but it's really the intrinsic value. <laughs> right. And it, it's more like a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If the whiskey gets older, it also gets more expensive. Yeah, in in a way. And on the other hand, like it's a, it's an established concept in the industry that all like similar with wine, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, and we did really a lot of research to to come up to the conclusion that this is not going to change. Like, a lot of things can change over time, but yeah. some general concept of some products they're not going to change. Like, older whiskey equal better whiskey. <laughs> this is like right. an equation which probably is still there in twenty years. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we decided to invest in whiskey casks 
However, like the fun part is between deciding let's invest in whiskey casks and actually doing the investment. I get um, four to six months. It took us four to six months to organize everything, right? To get a partner to execute the investment, organize storage, insurance, then like which partner can you trust? Like there are a few companies saying, yeah, invest with us in whiskey casks, but then you need to understand, am I really the owner of the whiskey cask? Is mm-hmm. it a financial product where I'm like entering a liability contract? Like it takes yeah. some time to understand what's going on. But at the end we did that investment and um, yeah, it, it was fun. And we learned that others are very interested in doing that as well. That's quite a cool learning experience, I imagine, because you have this initial idea, you did some research, but then to actually put that into practice, that was probably much more work than you anticipated at the beginning. Significantly more. Like we were surprised because we were doing all the research and in our mind, it was like, okay, once we take the investment decision, it's a matter of days (laughs) to to execute. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it was not, it's not like buying stocks, right? It's not like, exactly. (laughs) It's not like uh, going on on Swiss quote and buying a few stocks. Exactly. But then, so maybe before we talk about the next step, what happened then is just the idea of investing in alternative investment classes like whiskey, but also watches and other goods, basically compared to stocks or gold or whatever you can invest in with, you know, a lower, you know, minimum or not a lower minimum, but like a lower effort, let's put it that way. Why is that a good idea to do? Because you said you did a lot of research. What did you find there? Well, I think there are many good reasons. Um, However, like the disclaimer, because I I really like to be transparent. Sure. Um, This is a relatively new asset class and there isn't that much data Mm-hmm. compared to other asset classes to really say like we have so much data we can compare history and we come up to the conclusion that alternatives are not correlating or lower correlated with the value development of, of traditional assets mm-hmm. there are indications and based on past data and some occasions we can prove that these assets are recession resistant mm-hmm. so like right now every stock market is decreasing in value is going down however whiskey casks watches wine cars are generally stable in the value development in these days so we see that there is some data showing that one of the benefits is the low correlation and Mm -hmm. the stability especially in crises if this was going to hold over the next 50 years i don't know we'll see sure i'm like very positive (laughs) and in a way bullish because mm-hmm. like we're building an investment app you have based on that yeah. concept. <laughs> but like we will see. And another thing which convinced us back in time then mm-hmm. was the fact that um, it protects the wealth against inflation. Um, you can go on a primary market and buy new wine, watches, bags, cars. Mm-hmm. Today, everything is 10 to 15% more expensive versus one or two years ago. Yeah. And this value increase is reflected on the secondary market as well. Mm-hmm. So in a way, investing in, in physical goods protects your money against inflation. At the same time, I'm just trying to fully understand it. You, you see that, you know, stocks, for example, they have also a high returning yield, usually on average. It's very volatile, but on average, quite a good yield. Is that something that you compromise when you say you go into the alternative asset classes that are more crisis resistant, so they don't drop as much or they don't drop at all compared to the stocks these days, 
But at the same time, if the stocks are doing very well, the alternative investment classes are not doing as well and gaining as much value. Absolutely. This is why we always say like, um, this is part of a overall portfolio strategy. Mm-hmm. So from our perspective, majority of my money is invested in, in um, real estate and ETFs. Yeah. And a little bit of the money is allocated to alternative investments. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not giving any recommendation on that because it would be not responsible. But from my perspective, every, everything between 5 and 15, 20% of a portfolio can be allocated to alternative investments. Yeah, but it. it's definitely not a product for beginners. <laughs> it's not the first thing you should do with your money. So the first thing you should do is something low effort, um, like ETFs, mm-hmm. accessible, liquid, so this is the starting point. And then at some point you realize that you would like to improve the risk return ratio of your portfolio. Right. That's the point where you should consider alternative investments yeah. and start maybe using the Splint Invest app. Amazing. So now we, we learned more about your research and, and your findings. We heard about the initial story, how you invested your first Swiss francs into whiskey. What happened then with your co-founders? Because you basically said, this was way more work than we anticipated, but it's also a really interesting opportunity. I imagine other people were curious to see what you were doing and tried to uh, also replicate your investment strategy. Yeah, I mean, we had seen different reactions when talking about it, but the most interesting reaction was, um, hey, when you're doing something similar next time, mm-hmm. please call me. I would yeah. like to contribute with 500 Swiss francs, with 1,000 Swiss francs. Yeah. And so after receiving the same answer 30 times, we realized, <laughs> okay, seems like there is a demand. Yeah. And I really like the diversity of our team when it comes to risk appetite. So we had intense discussions about like, is it worth um, investing our time and money to build Splint Invest in the very, mm-hmm. very beginning? And at some point we came up with a very nice strategy with milestones and criteria to enter the next milestone. Okay. And whenever we achieved something, we did a reassessment. Do we go ahead or do we go like uh, a little bit backwards or we stop? Right. And at some point we were really in in front of the decision to really quit our jobs. That Mm -hmm. was the most intense discussion we had as a team because I was saying, guys, like this is the moment. Like we can... (laughs) We can't add more milestones, more proof of concept, more validation, because at some point we really need to trust the idea and the concept. Absolutely. And, um, fortunately, I, as a team, we decided all together to really go ahead and uh, quit the jobs and work full time for Splint Invest. Where were you when, when that happened? You know, Can you talk a bit more about the traction or the validation that you've built to then be really, you know, excited about taking that jump and focusing on Splint Invest full-time? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was in the transition between like the very um, early family and friends Mm -hmm. stage and like moving into the stage where we did some beta testing with a still closed group, but with um, people we didn't know directly. So the, the validation with only family and friends wasn't enough for all of us, I mean, I it would have been probably enough for me, but because I have yeah. a certain risk appetite. Um, however, it wasn't enough for the whole team. Mm-hmm. So we did a second round with um, 200 beta testers. Yeah. And um, once we received a very, very good feedback from, from the beta testers, we decided to do the next step. And actually it was uh, a few few weeks before 
uh, we went to the TV show Hell at Eleven because <laughs> this was in nice. March and we started in February, so it was very, very close to each other. Great. And this beta testing, did, did the people actually have to send you money to, to invest to really also validate your assumptions or how did you test them with the beta testing? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. like if, if I would have the possibility to travel back, mm -hmm. I, I would spend a little bit less on, on the MVP, mm -hmm. but the, the beta testing was already with an app. It, it, was like awful. <laughs> sure, but that's but, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it was with transitioning money um, to the app, yeah. a very manual process like us every morning checking the bank account, ah, a new payment, going to the backend, yeah. typing in the amount, double checking, like avoiding typos because if yeah, you sure. type in a zero too much, then the, the user <laughs> sees it in the in-app balance. Yeah. But yeah, it was really a a real test. It wasn't a hypothetical test or a experimental environment. It was yeah. real users, real money, real investments, to some extent a real risk as well. Right. I like this a lot because I think it's crucial to really do a proper testing that people have to put the money where their mouth is, right? Otherwise, they will all tell you how great the idea is, but if they have to put money on the table, that actually shows if they're willing to invest or to use your solution. So, yeah perfect test definitely and like it was tricky because i think you can test a lot but when it comes to money it always needs a certain level of trust even in the very very beginning so mm -hmm. it was quite tricky for us to get to a user group of 200 people where we haven't had a direct personal connection mm -hmm. so rather than indirect Early adopters, because like you need an early adopter. Of like course. you can't yeah. test with somebody who is really sticking to traditional mechanisms and, and ideas and is not mm -hmm. open for new things. So it was a challenge to get to that user group, yeah. test the group, but it was a very cool experience. And then uh, you actually launched a product for, for good, your app. And the cool thing is people can actually start to invest from 50 euros or 50 Swiss francs onwards. Why was that the right threshold to have as a minimal investment for you? That's a very good question. And to be honest, I don't know yet if this is the right threshold. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, you have to start with something. Sure. We have tested 10 euros, Swiss francs. Yeah. We have tested um, 200. And we really had the impression that for Switzerland, 50 is a good starting point. However, we could probably go to 200, 250 without right. noticing anything. Because anyway, People who download the app usually start with 250 to 500 Swiss francs. Yeah. Um, however, the ambitious is to become a, a European platform. Um, and we've seen through tests, for example, in Spain and Poland and mm -hmm. other European countries that 50 is too much. So yeah. there we, are, we can grow faster and have better conversion rates if we offer 10 euro investments. Got it. Yeah. So I think at the end we will end up, or we will end up in a in a state where we have different thresholds. Mm -hmm. um, the app is is or the backend and the ledger is built in a way that you can issue products with different entry tickets. Sure. So we are very flexible on that end. Before uh, in in the conversation you mentioned that the alternative investment classes are not something for beginners. At the same time, with a very low threshold, that probably is more appealing for beginners, right, to join in and use your app. Is that somewhat a contradiction or do you think that this is actually indeed a very good fit to have the low threshold, even though the product or the investment class is not intended specifically for beginners? 
Well, I think that um, it's both. Mm-hmm. What we see today, and this is actually a challenge for us, we were, are constantly brainstorming on how to overcome that. But in a way, we need to avoid, because of the low entry ticket, that unexperienced investors are downloading the app and putting in some money. Right. So uh, we had a very um, like funny situation where a user downloaded the app, invested 300 euro, mm-hmm. and like alternative investments are highly illiquid. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and two weeks later, the same user was sending us an email, guys, um, I forgot about an invoice. Um, can I please sell my tokens? I, I need the cash. It was like, yeah, okay, we, we get a solution. We, we take them back on our right. own account. But we clearly said to the user, please um, reconsider <laughs> using the app because it's, we're talking about highly illiquid assets. So yeah. if you're investing, you shouldn't like rely on that money of for course. the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And so we are constantly brainstorming on how to overcome that challenge because we can like one idea was to and to start with a test and if you don't pa- pass the test you cannot use it but come on yeah. that we we can't do that no of course I mean at the same time you know you want to have a good conversion rate that people actually invest because you want to grow but you also don't want to run into bad reviews or bad publicity because people don't understand the concept exactly so that's yeah tricky the decision so far is to really invest in tutorials and webinars yeah. in blogs and news we publish in the app mm-hmm. to really explain like if we say this is an illiquid asset what does that mean if we yeah. say you invest like in an investment horizon of 5 to 7 years what does that mean like <laughs> like yeah. really highlighting and uh, the important aspects of alternative investments mm-hmm. and on the other hand offering webinars for free every week um in a way, it's also cool for, for the conversion because people like the conversations with us. Yeah. Um, but I st- I'm still convinced that the low entry ticket is a good thing because the community of retail investors is growing. And yeah. I don't think it's fair that you have access to all the asset categories with 100 millions, but you don't have access with 1,000 euro or, yeah. or Swiss francs. So creating that equality um even with low or with smaller portfolios is very important for us. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good that you can motivate more and more people, hopefully, to start thinking about their financial life and start investing. I think that's a very good development. One thing I was wanted, wanted to ask is, because you have a, a group of people basically investing in the same asset, right, from 50 euros or Swiss francs onwards, can you actually also trade the splints, the sort of the tokens, the shares that you buy of that specific asset within the same group? Is that possible? Even within every user of the Splint Invest app. So um, on the 8th of December, mm-hmm. the trading venue or the trading platform is going live. So there will be a trading day once a month. Maybe yeah. if we are growing and there is demand for it, we can increase the frequency. But for now, we start with one trading day per month where we offer the possibility to transfer the tokens from one to another user. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say explicitly transfer and not trading because it's not a marketplace like an exchange where somebody is right. guaranteeing the liquidity. Yeah. So it's like a marketplace like eBay or Ricardo where as a seller you can offer it, you can set the price, yeah. and if somebody in the community is willing to pay that price, you can buy it. Yeah. But it's not like you don't have the possibility as a buyer to enter offers and as a seller selling offers and then right. there's no matchmaking. Yeah. So. But that's super interesting because just thinking about all the possibilities that you unlock there, right? That's an immense potential. 
definitely the transferability of of illiquid assets is is a huge challenge and like one of the probably major reasons why alternative assets like were not attractive for retail investors so far yeah. like of course the high entry ticket the the expertise needed but also the lack of like transferability right and i also wonder you, you basically invest in physical goods right and these physical goods they have to be stored somewhere so how do you actually solve that problem of the whole storage and also taking care of the goods and also the insurance part because i imagine these valuable goods they also need some sort of insurance definitely and in in the very very beginning we had the ambition to become an expert in everything mm-hmm. and then we learned along the the path that this is not going to happen because it's like too complex so now we are actually a platform and in the background we collaborate not even in the background as a user you see in the app the partner the provider of the investment opportunity mm-hmm. the cask to watch and um, our partners they take they take care of the selection of the asset, the watch, the wine. They yeah. take care of uh, insurance and storage. Nice. What we do is we um, only allow accepted and approved and validated partners to our platform. So they mm-hmm. go through due diligence and only if they pass the due diligence, they are allowed to offer assets. Yeah. And the second step is on every asset, we do like an audit. Mm-hmm. There you can see the PwC Absolutely. <laughs> so Mario, our head of investments, is is auditing every asset yeah. when it comes to is it stored correctly? Is it insured in accordance to our guidelines? Mm-hmm. Does it exist? <laughs> like yeah, first very thing, important. Does it exist? Yeah. And then is the value offered or the price offered in line with market values? Mm-hmm. So we validate it with external market data to really make sure that it's a competitive price. Because yeah. at the end, the investment case is is highly depending on the purchase of price. Of course, yeah. And who then actually controls the asset? I mean, you have many co-owners basically, but maybe at one point in time, you want to sell this very nice, expensive watch. How do you decide that? That's um, where the whole legal framework kicks in. Yeah. Um, legally, everything is set up um, in accordance to uh, ZGB. So as a co-owner, you are the owner of the asset partially, mm-hmm. but we are the co-owner representative. Got it. Which allows us to take all the decisions for all the co-owners when it comes to storage, insurance, yeah. selling, and it also allows us to represent the co-owners, for example, in case of uh, physical damage, um, in case something happens to a bottle, which shouldn't mm-hmm. be the case, but somebody needs to represent the co-owners with the insurance company yeah. when it comes to the to the claim. And yeah. legally, we set up a framework allowing us as a co-owner representative to do all these things. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, limiting all the rights of the co-owners to the absolutely minimum. Not because we don't like the rights, but it must be scalable and from an administrative perspective, like implementable. (laughs) So this is why we need to limit the rights of an individual co-owner to the minimum. And talking about that legal framework, I can imagine that was one of the biggest challenges to actually start Splint Invest, because there you have to think about FINMA and regulations and everything. Was that really, you know, a big challenge to solve before you were able to really go out and start promoting the app? Actually, the biggest challenge. So, like, from from an outside perspective, you may think, ah, they are in a blockchain game. 
uh, they are in a marketing game, uh, they are in an investment game, but uh, honestly, we're in a, in a legal game. So having <laughs> the full overview on how to set up everything legally is the most important part of our business. Mm -hmm. And there I see the huge advantage we have as a team, because like I'm used to work with Finma since 2013 when I started PwC. I was working in financial services with banks, like reading um, Finma circulars. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it was a hobby, but like something I was doing every day. And yeah. the same for Mario and, and Alex. And so we really have that knowledge mm -hmm. and the awareness of the importance. So the first thing we did is like organizing calls and, and non-action letters with Finma. Same with Buffin. Um, and also talking to tax authorities to really understand like things, do we need to charge VAT on mm -hmm. a token? <clears throat> yes, no. Yeah. How is it treated from a tax perspective as an individual investor? The question will come. <laughs> so how 100%, do we answer? Yeah. And, and like having all these discussions like was very, very time intense mm -hmm. and difficult. And just to give you an example, we're like, we had two questions for Buffin. We started the inquiry at the same time as with Finma in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the questions of the inquiry was answered by Buffin, mm -hmm. luckily, two weeks ago. <laughs> wow. The other is still pending. That's crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, going through all that hassle and setting up your own legal framework around that topic is also your unfair advantage. Absolutely. And we see it every day. Like... Um, we started to build an engine right now, which will mm. be released soon to transfer or export the tokens to a wallet outside the app. So we're yeah. creating a splint token on the Tesos blockchain, mm -hmm. which is a great thing because at some point it will generate um, liquidity through um, lending and borrowing, can be used as a collateral because like the value development is very stable of the of the asset yeah. and uh, can be used as collateral at some point um, I, you can um trade it with much much more people if you can access the community outside the app as well so huge yeah. advantages but when doing so we realize that the level of quality when it comes to the legal framework of most tokens out there is crap mm -hmm. and we really invested a lot of time to make sure that the terms and conditions and everything are not only clear, but also technically embedded in the smart contract yeah. in order to not get lost over time. Like small things, yeah. huge impact, very important. Also, just out of curiosity, I hope this will never happen, but assuming that you would go out of business as a legal company, what would happen to the assets that the people invested in? Like this is very, very important. And when we started, the first users we're family and friends. So yeah, sure. <laughs> it was important for us to solve that question yeah. up front. <laughs> and um, since legally you are um, a co-owner of the physical asset as mm -hmm. a user, you're not directly affected by us going out of business. No. However, it will create a huge um, administrative effort for all the co-owners because they don't know yeah, each other. So yeah. <laughs> to coordinate everything. This is why we have decided to collaborate with um, um, escrow partner. Mm -hmm. This is a Swiss um, Treuhand um, company, mm -hmm. fiduciary in Switzerland. Um, the contract is not between us and the fiduciary, but through the terms and condition, the contract is between the co-owners and the fiduciary. So yeah. in case that we go out of business, 
the fiduciary can jump in and take over the responsibility as a representative of all co-owners. Got it. Of course, legally, you have the right to choose another co-owner representative. Yeah. This is like something we need to really um, walk through and and elaborate in more detail. What would happen if 50% of the users would choose another co-owner representative? Yeah, right. Like yeah. this is still an o- operational question we need to answer to the fullest extent. Mm-hmm. But there is a co-owner representative which would jump in and um, liquidate all the assets and redistribute the funds yeah. to all the co-owners. Mm-hmm. However, we're not going to release new assets. There will be no trading venue anymore. So there are definitely definitely negative consequences if we go out of business. But at least your ownership is secured. Yeah, that's very important for the investors to hear. I also wonder, what's your business model behind everything? Do you charge a transaction fee on every transaction that happens? Or how do you make money as a company? Very good question. And um, I think that every user who is not asking this question isn't critical enough. (laughs) Because at the end, only if we can build a sustainable business model from an economical perspective, will be there in 10 years. Exactly. And um, so we have decided to go for a business model where we charge on transactions mm-hmm. and not on assets under management. So usually in, in this industry, you pay a half a percent to 2% assets under management fees every year yeah. on the money you've invested. I think this is not a fair model for what we do because once you have invested the money and it's invested there, nothing happens. Yeah. So I don't have a recurring effort just because you are invested in something. Right. So we've decided to go for a transactional model where you pay whenever you invest, mm-hmm. 8%. We call that uh, the platform fee. Right. This is embedded in the 50 euro you're investing. So actually, if you invest 50 euro in the first transaction, um, you pay 92% for the asset mm-hmm. and 8% for us. Right. However, when we reevaluate the asset, we always compare it to the total investment amount. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, you invest today and there is no increase in value in the first month, we would show you a negative value development of minus eight. Right. Because the 8% are fees. Of course, yeah. However, um, since we are like trying to spot good assets Mm -hmm. and we have very good relationships to our partners, we are usually able to sell them on the primary market already 10 to 15% below market value. What is happening is you pay actually 8% for us, but in the first months you already see a positive price development because we were able to source it below market price. Right. So this is the 8% platform fee. And then we have a 2% exit fee. Whenever we sell an asset at maturity Mm -hmm. or whenever you trade on the secondary market, you pay a 2% fee based on the transaction volume. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very friendly fee structure i would say because i'm personally i i'm not a fan of the management fee at all i want to keep that as low as possible the closer to zero the better <laughs> definitely uh, well you know i think that this is a very very old model um traditional model um, established in the industry since years and i see i mean when when we talk with vcs the first thing they say is why aren't you applying an assets under management yeah, model? Right. it would be much more lucrative for you yeah. so, yes in theory but it's not aligned with our value proposition and it's not aligned with what we think is a fair pricing model for our services yeah. and i also like it because it puts the incentives to really make the illiquid assets more liquid with the secondary market the transactions basically 
And that is a good incentive because that's something that nobody else really has solved until today. Definitely. And well, this is definitely a good incentive. On the other hand, we don't want to create too much liquidity yeah. because like creating liquidity in an illiquid asset is usually not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so what we would like to create is more an exit option, transferability in case you need the money urgently. Mm-hmm. But we anticipate that if you are really forced to sell on the secondary market up yeah. earlier than maturity, you will probably pay a liquidity premium. Of course, yeah. The the market is usually quite efficient. Exactly. And, you know, with that basis model, so you, you still need certain volumes, right? You need new people investing every day, basically, to build a sustainable business around that. So you really do need a certain volume to have a sustainable business. Absolutely. So we need a lot of users who are investing every month. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this is something we like because it forces us, I mean, we would have done it probably anyway, but it forces us to really build sustainable processes, sustainable relationships, because we rely on users investing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like we're not making money out of one big investment and then we screw up everyone. Right. That's not going to work. Like this is how usually asset managers work. Like, yeah, yeah I'm the nicest guy on earth until you give me your million, yeah. then I'm hands off. Now yeah. the money is here transferability is a mess so you're anyway not getting out of that contract no no we really are forced and we like that as well to build um, sustainable processes and relationships Mm -hmm. but yes so we really need to scale that's the only way to be successful and we need to have recurring investments recurring users very very similar to other subscription models yeah i wanted to say this really reminds me of a subscription model because you don't have a subscription per se but your goal is to make them come back every month and ideally invest a fixed amount every month with you. And if you don't deliver, they're going to stop investing. So it is sort of a different subscription model. Definitely. And we see there a big advantage because like the monthly investment process is is a good thing as a retail investor anyway. So having a fixed allocation of your savings to ETFs, alternatives, cash liquidity, whatever is is anyway a good thing. And to do that monthly based on your salary is an advantage for you as a retail investor and for us as a company. Exactly. So this is why we really believe that this is going to to make both sides um, happy. And mm. um, we are working on on a kind of a subscription model where you can automatically invest on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. One on the one hand because we think that it's going to facilitate facilitate the process, and on the other hand because it's create it creates more stability and predictability for us when it comes to sourcing. Fair point. Yeah. You are on a very, very exciting journey. I, I feel you're just getting started. There's so much more to come with now the trading being launched soon, probably international expansion. What is next for you? What are your top priorities and milestones over the next few months? So one of, of uh, one very important milestones was just read yesterday, today, um, we launched a crowd investing campaign mm-hmm. for 1 million, which... Uh, was uh, closed after five days because we managed to raise the money through the community, which is great. It's amazing. Um, in a way, it's like proving the concept that we have a huge and amazing community of retail investors. <laughs> yeah. And they do want to invest in alternative asset classes. Exactly, <laughs> even in startups. So that's yeah. great. Um, the next big milestone is to really close the whole um, financing round of 3.5 millions. Yeah. So we are still negotiating the terms with a few VCs um, to really... Uh, put all the money together, mm-hmm. then of course, 
executing the capital increase from a legal perspective probably early next year. Perfect. And then, of course, like going ahead with our business plan. So one important milestone will be to get a few licenses. One is the e-money license in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. The other one is a Swiss asset manager license. We need both to really um, grow internationally mm-hmm. and also to offer other categories within the alternative space, more um, financial products. Okay. So this is uh, as well a very important milestone. And then of course, like constantly working on the app, adding new features, like I already mentioned, the auto investment feature is the one thing we have in mind. Mm-hmm. Something we are already working on and which will be released in Q1 next year is as well the multi-currency feature. Right now you can nice. only invest in Euro. This yeah. is suboptimal. So we are going to allow yeah. users to invest in multiple currencies which is good from a diversification perspective as well, because yeah. then you don't have like everything in Europe, but you can distribute it. So a lot on, on that end to come as well. And of course, you, you mentioned it, like we need to scale. So mm-hmm. prior, no, priority number one is then definitely user growth, growth of community, communication, marketing. Amazing. Certainly very, very exciting times ahead of you. So Aurelio, to wrap up today's conversation, we also have some rapid fire questions for you. I either give you a simple question or different options to choose from, and you have to answer in one sentence. Definitely. You ready? Let's go. What was your best investment so far? Um, I, I would say, I'm not sure if it's okay to label that as an investment, but we decided to get a dog five years ago. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it, it's not an investment, but like um, doing that was one of the best decisions because it's like you give a lot mm-hmm. time it gives back much, much more. So yeah, nice. What was your worst investment? Honestly, when I was 19 years old or 20 years old, I was still convinced that single stock <laughs> is, is a good idea. I was doing yeah. all my research and the, the, the stock is still there. It's called Curaçao. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a German company that was financially the worst investment I've ever done. Yeah. And you mentioned it in the beginning, actually, we built a seltzer company. It was fun. We learned a lot, um, but I completely like underestimated the effort and like the B2C consumer goods game. So mm-hmm. I would say that wasn't the best investment too. Fair point. But I mean, I think you took great learnings out of both investments that definitely, made you a better definitely. investor afterwards. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Last night, uh, four and a half, five. Lake or mountains? Neither nor I like the sea. <laughs> nice. What is your what What is the number one in, uh, mistake investors can make from your perspective? I mentioned one like single stock picking, yeah. <laughs> and then not diversifying and like, especially in the beginning, thinking that outsmarting the market is a good idea. Yeah. And uh, if you had to choose one investment, I give you different options to choose from: ETFs, uh, gold alternative assets or crypto only one only one always etfs i agree perfect aurelio thank you so much for coming on the show lots of success and all the best of splint invest i'm gonna download the app myself after this talk great thanks a lot it was a pleasure we hope you enjoyed today's episode If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.